We're saved by grace. The word grace simply means unmerited favor. It means we didn't do anything to gain it or or get it or to deserve it. It's about what Jesus did for us when we couldn't do anything for ourselves spiritually to rescue us and save us. Paul is going to tell us in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 and verse 8, we're saved by grace through faith. So Christianity says we are not saved by our works, we're saved by the finished work of Jesus and what he did on the cross. We have to take it. How we take it? What did Paul say? By faith. You're saved by grace through faith. It's our faith. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. That's how we take and we receive the gift of salvation. See, we're saved for good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. You see, good works are not the root of our faith. They're the fruit of our faith. Good works don't bring you into a relationship with Jesus, but they flow out of your relationship with Jesus. morning oh let's try that again you guys are full from turkey good morning there we go take out your bibles if you haven't already turn to the book of ephesians your bibles your mobile devices if you're using the bible you may have picked up at the door it's on page 472 i don't know if you've ever noticed how when you look around life sometimes physical realities often illustrate spiritual realities Uh, let me tell you what i'm talking about one of the privileges that I have in being a pastor is I get to travel the world uh, to meet different missionaries and go see uh, their works in different fields all around the world. I've I've been to most of the different countries of the world. And uh, I remember when I was in Europe, one of the things I noticed, you know, when you drive through Europe, you drive through countries like you drive through states here. And and every time you go into a new country, uh, there's some kind of barrier. There's some kind of wall uh, that that distinguishes that country from the people of the other country. Um, You know, we certainly have our own borders here in the United States. We have the Canadian border to the north, the Mexican border uh, to the south. Um, Of course, one of the most famous walls and borders would be the Great China Wall. I don't know if you've ever been able to to visit or see that, and that, that is a dividing line. Uh, we had something very interesting happen to us when we took a trip several years ago uh, with a group from our church. There were about 12 of us. We went to the Holy Land, to, to Israel. Uh, and while we were there visiting, we had you know, our own bus the whole time. And we had our Israeli Jewish uh, bus driver and uh, Jewish tour guide that took us around. And when we went to the city of Bethlehem, Uh, where Jesus was born, uh, this is the gate and the wall outside of Bethlehem. Because when you go through Israel, there's all these pockets dividing the Israelis and the Palestinians. And today, Bethlehem is actually under Palestinian rule. And so we pull up in our Jewish bus with our Jewish driver and tour guide. And they said, okay, to this gate right here. And we wanted to go into Bethlehem. So they said, you got to get off the bus and you guys got to go through the gate, and you're going to get on a new bus, uh, new driver, new tour guide. It's all going to be Palestinian. I'm like, well, why can't we just stay on this bus? Was this, what, is this bus circumcised, and that one's not? I mean, what's the... Some of y'all will get that. And they're like, no, we're, we're, we're Israelis, and we're not Palestinians, so we can't cross the wall. There's this dividing line between us and the Palestinians, and, and you see it everywhere. Uh, some of you remember this famous wall that divided uh, people groups. It, uh, in Berlin, there was the Berlin Wall that divided East and West Germany, communism and democracy. And you remember in 1987 when President Ronald Reagan, some of you remember, stood uh, and gave this speech before that wall, and he said to Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev, help me out, tear down this wall 
the wall that divides people between East and West uh, Germany there and Berlin, and he asked them to tear it down, and they eventually did tear it down. Well, that's exactly the message that Paul has for us today in Ephesians chapter 2. Tear down this wall. We, we've been learning in the book of Ephesians these different identities that we have in Christ. We, we've learned that I am blessed, I am appreciated, I am saved. Today we're going to learn I am reconciled. I'm reconciled. Jesus has brought peace to our relationships. He's wanted to destroy the walls between each other and, and the wall between us and himself. The wall, the walls of hostility and hatred that, that divide us by reconciling us as one. And, you know, even here in the United States, we have these walls that we build even within our own personal lives. You know, we, we buy a house in a neighborhood to be with other people, but then what do we do? We throw up fences. We many times don't go out into the neighborhood. People don't know each other in neighborhoods like they, they once did. And we build up relational walls because maybe somebody has hurt us in the past and we don't want to be hurt again. Uh, there's gender walls. There's social status walls. We call them racism and classism and, and sexism. And Jesus came to bring peace to all of our relationships, and most importantly, peace in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, to make us one, to reconcile us. Uh, notice in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 and 16 kind of gives us the context of this passage. It says, for he, Jesus himself, is our what? Church, help me out. He's our peace. Everybody say peace. peace. He's our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Look at verse 16. It says, and that he, Jesus, might reconcile. There's our word. There's our identity. That he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. We're going to talk today about what does it mean to be reconciled. Now, the word reconcile comes from the Greek word of pakatalasso. Sounds like you're ordering a drink at, you know, uh, Starbucks. I'd like a vente apakatalasso, please. It's a Greek word. It means this, to bring together again. Something that was separated, there was a wall, but to bring it together again, to restore. Often you'll hear this word reconcile, reconciliation, talking about a marriage that has been separated and trying to bring reconciliation. Um, or maybe sometimes they can't reconcile, so they're like they have irreconcilable differences. And Paul's going to tell us here that we as Christians, as believers, those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we have been reconciled in three ways. That God has tried to tear down the walls between us and others and us and himself in three ways. So I hope you'll take some notes this morning about these three ways we've been reconciled. They're on the back of your newsletter. Number one, we have been reconciled socially. Because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we put our faith in him, we have been reconciled socially. This has to do with our horizontal relationships with each other. Paul describes this in verse 11 and 12, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus. Uh, these were people who were once pagan, heathen, Gentile people. They were not Jews. But then Paul came to their city, led them to Christ. He's writing this letter back, and he's describing how they were when he found them both socially and spiritually. And notice what he says. Therefore, remember that you, you Ephesians, once Gentiles in the flesh. Now, people ask this question all the time. What's a Gentile? If you're not a Jew, guess what? You're a Gentile. You're either Jew or Gentile. These people were Gentiles. He says, you were once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. What he's describing there is the Jewish people one of the signs and symbols that they were Jewish was circumcision. 
And so everybody else, the Gentiles, were uncircumcised. And so they'd say, oh, it's one of those uncircumcised people, one of them non-Jewish people, one of them people that are not God's people. And they used that word uncircumcision in, in, a, in a slang way, in a derogatory, it was a derogatory term, the uncircumcised, the heathens, the pagans, the Gentiles. He says, that's how the Jews described you guys that are Gentiles. And let me just tell you this, guess what? Most of us in the room this morning are Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. So this applies to us as well. He says that at that time, before you came to Christ, at that time you were without who? Without Christ. You didn't know him. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You, you were not part of God's people. And you were strangers from the covenants of promise to God's people as the Jews, having no hope. And without God in the world. And that's really a description of, of, of all of us, as we'll see in a moment. And I, and I want to, you to guys to, to grasp it. It's hard for us today to understand the hostility and the animosity that the Jews had toward the Gentiles and why this reconciliation Paul is talking about, this wall between them, why, why it was so important that it be torn down, that this social wall of division would be removed. Because the Jews hated the Gentiles. This all began, some of you will remember this summer, we went through the book of Genesis, and there was a man named Abraham, and God chose a man named Abraham who actually was not a Jew. Uh, before Abraham, there were no Jews, there was no nation of Israel, there were no God's people. Everybody was just pagans and heathens except for a few individuals. And he called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldeans, which is the Babylonian people, and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something special to you, Abraham. I'm going to, through you and your children, your children's children, I'm going to make a great nation. We know that today is the nation of what? Israel, the Jewish people. And, and because I want everybody to know who you are, all the, the males are going to be circumcised as a symbol and a sign that they're my people. Well, Abraham got excited about this because he wanted a son. He didn't have a son, but he got tired of waiting for God's timing, and he took matters in his own hands. And instead of just having one wife, Sarah, he took another wife, Hagar. Two wives is one wife too many. Let me just help you men out, okay? It's one too many. And he tries to help God out, and he has an illegitimate child through Hagar, a son named Ishmael. And that began the Gentiles. And then finally, God gave him his choice, and, and miraculously, him and Sarah were given a son named Isaac, and it was through Isaac and Jacob and their descendants that the nation of Israel came. But it was at that point in that family that Jews and Gentiles were divided and have been ever since. If you're with me, say yes. And there's been this incredible hatred and anger and hostility between the Jews and, and the Gentiles. Now, God's intention was this. He told Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you as my people, and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. It was God's intention that he would so bless the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, that the other nations would see God's blessings, and they would want in on it and say, tell us about your God. We're tired of these false dead idols and false gods. Tell us about your God. And they were supposed to be a conduit to the rest of the world to bring people to Christ, to the, to the true Messiah. But instead, the Jewish people became prideful about being God's chosen people. And God, they thought God loved them more than he loved everybody else. And they said, you know, we're God's people. We're chosen. God loves us. God hates you guys. And the rest are heathens and they're pagans and they're godless. And that was their view toward the Gentiles, the Jews toward the Gentiles. 
And, you know, they would describe the Bible. And, you know, I think we'd all agree as you read through the Bible and read the stories, there's some good guys in the Bible and there's some bad guys in the Bible. There's some good women in the Bible. There's some bad women in the Bible. Well, the Jews would say, okay, you know that Nebuchadnezzar, that evil king you read about? Yeah, that's your guy, not our guy. That's one of the bad guys. You know that, that David and Goliath story? David, that's our guy. Goliath, that's your guy. Pharaoh, you know, your guy. Moses, our guy. Talk about some of the women in the middle. You know that evil Jezebel you read about in the Bible? Samson and Delilah. Samson, our guy. Delilah, your woman. That's your woman right there. All the bad people in the Bible, the Jews were like, the, all the bad people are the Gentiles. If this were a Western movie and you're dressing up the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews would be riding on the white horses with white hats. Gentiles would be riding on black horses with black hats if this was a Western. It's like good guys, bad guys. In my study, I found this, and this is true even of a lot of Jews today. They pray this prayer. And this is a prayer of the Jews. They say, I thank God I'm not a Gentile. That's what they say. Here's another saying to help you understand how much the Jews hated the Gentile people and couldn't stand them. They said this, Gentiles are only good for kindling in hell. Yeah. Ooh, everybody go, ooh. That's how they felt about them. When they built their temple, they had a court called the Court of the Gentiles that the Gentiles could only hang out there. They couldn't get close to the, you know, the real temple and the Holy of Holies. And they said, there was a sign that said, any Gentile that goes past this door, you bring death upon yourself. And I was trying to help, you know, today, here in, you know, 2013, help you guys understand the hostility and the hatred and the animosity between Jews and Gentiles. And you know they say that a picture's worth a thousand words. So maybe this picture will just help you understand the animosity between Jews and Gentiles. I think that says it all right there. But hang with me. It gets a little better. It gets a little better. So, so Paul in verse 11 and 12 is talking about this social wall between Jews and Gentiles needing reconciliation and he says in verse 12 you guys were Gentiles and you you were without Christ you were without God you weren't part of God's people you were without hope and then look at verse 13 look at the first two words say them with me but now you see that changes everything that's like what we read last week we were lost we were dead but God stepped in he says but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off as Gentiles have been brought near by the blood of Christ but God but but now what Jesus has done you see when Jesus steps into the middle of our relationships it changes everything amen or at least it should that's what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians. He says, listen, you, you in Ephesus, you were once strangers, but now you're friends with the, with the Jews. You, you were once hopeless without God, and now you're hopeful. You were once without God. Now you know God like the Jewish people know God. You were once far off. Now you've been brought near. Jew and Gentile have been brought together. Jesus' death brought Jews and Gentiles together as one in Christ. They had been reconciled socially there was to be no room for prejudice, no more walls between them. They were once far off, but now they've been brought near. They've been reconciled. It would look like this. I'd like to make a disclaimer right here, if I could, for just a moment. This was for illustrated purposes for the sake of the gospel only. I just want to make that clear right there. Just illustrated purposes. So Paul says, first of all, because... Of our faith in Christ, we have been reconciled socially. Number two, we have also been reconciled spiritually. 
Not only have we been reconciled socially, we've been reconciled spiritually. You see, the social aspect has to do with our horizontal relationships with each other on this earth. But our spiritual reconciliation has to do with our vertical relationship with God. And this is true of both Jew and Gentile. Both of us needed to be reconciled to God because there was a wall of separation. When we came into this life, we inherited this wall of separation between us and God. Paul describes this beginning in verse 14. Watch what he says. For he, and the he here is Jesus. For he, Jesus himself, is our what, church? Our peace, who has made both one. Who's the both? Jew and Gentile. He's made both of us one spiritually and has broken down the middle wall of separation between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. The word enmity means hatred or hostility. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Let's talk about the Old Testament law. So as to create in himself, in Jesus, one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile, there's that word, them both, Jew and Gentile, to who? To each other? No, not just to each other, to who? To God. That he might bring them both back together to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, the hostility and hatred. And he, Jesus, came and he preached peace to you who were afar off, far away from God, and to those who are near, that's the Jews, for through him, through Jesus, listen to this, for through Jesus we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. We have all been reconciled to God through our faith in Jesus Christ. You see, before, before putting our faith in Jesus, we were all separated from God. There was a spiritual wall. And you know what that wall was made out of? Sin. My sin. Your sin. Our sin is what separated us from our relationship with God. We needed to be reconciled to God. We all needed to be spiritually reconciled. You, you see, Paul is reminding all of us here that we, we all, before faith in Christ, were godless, heathen, pagan people. If you trace your family tree back far enough, just like those in Ephesus, you're going to find you came from a line of heathen pagans. And some of you don't have to look very far to figure this out. You had Thanksgiving with some of them, possibly. We, we've all had a cousin Eddie in our family to remind us that we've come from a line of heathen pagan people. Here's how Paul says it in Romans. In Romans 3.23, for, help me church, everyone, not some, not most, everyone, every person ever born in all of humanity, for everyone has sinned. And because of it, we fall short of God's glorious standard. A wall has been built between us and God. Isaiah 59, 2 says it this way, it's your sins that have separated you from who? From God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and he'll not listen anymore. There's a wall between us and God spiritually. We need to be reconciled. The wall needs to be torn down. Now, the Jews would have said in Paul's day, okay, we know that it's faith in Christ. And so all these Gentiles started getting saved and putting their faith in Christ. But they said, that's not enough. You also have to become a Jew. It's not enough just to put faith in Christ. You also have to become a Jew because it's only, only the Jews that God loves and only the Jews are God's people. And so, you know, you got to be circumcised like us. And all the Gentile men were like, are you sure? Can we vote on this? Is there an exception clause? If there is, we're for it. And the Jews were like, you must be Jewish 
to be saved. You must be Jewish to be part of God's family. The Gentiles were like, oh, forget all that Jewish stuff. We, we don't need to be that. We'll just be Gentiles. And Paul says in verse 16, and that Jesus might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross. We are now no longer Jew and Gentile. We are Christians. Amen? We are Christians. Praise God for that. It's about Jesus. You see, this is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about God the Father looking down and realizing there was a wall of separation called sin between us and God. And he sent his son Jesus on a rescue mission and he sent him over the wall. And he reaches out his hand and says, if you will take my hand and put your faith in me, I will reconcile you back to my father. I'll restore your relationship with God that was separated because of sin. And, it's, and that's the same for Jew and Gentile, both. We have some Jewish people in our church today, we call them Messianic Jews. They're, they're Jewish by descent and by ethnic background, but they're spiritually, they're Christians. Paul says it this way in Romans 3, verse 9 through 12. This comes from the New Living Translation. And I want to read this to you. It's a little lengthy, but it is so clear to understanding what Paul is saying. Listen to what Paul says, because this was a big debate back in Paul's day, Jew and Gentile. He says, well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No. Not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of what? Sin. As the scripture says, no one is righteous. Righteous means right with God. No, not even one. uh, Jew and Gentile alike had a wall between them and God. Paul goes on to say in verse 27, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal, I like that word, our acquittal is not based on obeying the law, the Old Testament law. That's what the Jews thought. It's based on what, church? faith so we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law after all is God the God of the Jews only isn't he also the God of the Gentiles of course he is Paul says there's only one God and he makes it he makes people right with himself only by faith whether they are Jews or Gentiles and we would all say to Paul amen brother that is as clear as can be we are all spiritually reconciled to God by our faith in Jesus Christ And that's what Jew and Gentile have in common. We have all become one new man. So the question is not, are you a Jew or a Gentile? The question should be this, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you a Christ follower? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Have you been reconciled to God because of your faith in Jesus Christ? If you haven't, I got good news. Before you leave here this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity to have that wall of sin removed. That's the question. Are you a Christian? So, Paul says, number one, we've been reconciled socially. Number two, we've been reconciled spiritually. But as we've said throughout this study, our identity, who we're, we're learning who we are in Christ, especially in these first three chapters of Ephesians, because they're very doctrinal. It's about teaching, understanding. The last three are very practical, now how we live it out. But our identity should affect our what, church? Our activity. Glad you guys remember that. I'll keep saying it. Our identity should affect our activity, how we live. It should have a practical effect in our life. So I'm going to close by telling you, what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us this morning? Well, here's the third thing. We are reconciled collectively. We are all reconciled collectively. What does that mean? Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Let's say you have a marriage. What is a marriage? You have one man, one woman, they're wanting to get married. She does not join his family when she gets married. He does not join her family. 
I know that you, some of you go, well, it sure looks that way. What does it say biblically is supposed to happen? It says man should leave his father and mother and the two should become one. He doesn't join her family. She doesn't join his family. They become one and they start a new family together. A new family. That is exactly what Paul's talking about. Jew and Gentile have come together in our faith in Jesus Christ and we've become a new family. And we all have the same father, the same daddy. There's no separation. This is what Paul says in verse 19 to 22 to close this out. He says, now, therefore. Now, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should ask the question, what is it? Therefore. He says, because it's no longer Jew and Gentile. Because we all came into this family the same way through our faith in Christ. Therefore, here's how this plays out collectively among us. Therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. We're part of the same spiritual nation now. He says, and members of the household of God were part of the same family, not Jew, not Gentile, it's God's family, the household of God, we're Christians. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, that's where the church got started, Jesus Christ himself being the chief what? Cornerstone. It all started with Christ. If this top of this table was, was a, like a cornerstone, that was the most important stone in the building. They would put that down first, and then every, it was like a plumb line, and everything lines up from there on the cornerstone. Our cornerstone is Jesus Christ. We put our faith in him and everything else, God's family, his children, it's all built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. We sang about it this morning. Verse 21, in whom the whole building, the spiritual building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You know, what the, you know where this holy temple in the Lord is today? Look around. It's in this room. It's us. Where does, where, what does Paul say in Corinthians? Where is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Where does the Holy Spirit of God reside today? Is it in a building? Is it in bricks and mortar? No, it's in our body. Our bodies are the temple. And when we get together, God is here because we're here as believers. That's the building he's talking about here. It's the church, God's family. In verse 22, in whom you also are being built. There's, God's adding to the family as people get saved for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. That's why the Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, I'm in the midst. Because God is where his people are. And because of our common relationship with Jesus Christ, we are all in the same family. We're all on the same team. We're all on the same side. We have the same Savior. We have the same faith. We have the same Spirit. We have the same baptism. We have the same Father. We've got the same Daddy, y'all. Amen? We're all one in Christ. You see, in Christianity, in Christ, there's no front of the bus and back of the bus. There's no second-class Christians. Our Heavenly Father, our Daddy, loves all His kids. Black. White, Hispanic, Colombian, Asian, young, old, rich, poor, male, female, Democrat, Republican, Tea Party, Libertarian. You know what? what it's the same if you know Christ. You as parents of multiple kids can understand. How many of you are parents of multiple kids? More than one, okay? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, let's pray for all these parents of multiple kids. Like myself, I have two. Here's what you know as a parent. You love all your kids the same. Now, I understand you may not always like them all the same. That's a different message. 
I'm a parent, I understand. But you love them the same. Amen, parents? And you love the diversity. I don't know how it is in your home. We have a boy and a girl, and, and man, they are night and day in every way. One is an introvert, one is an extrovert. One is athletic, one is dramatic. I mean, and you can figure out who's who. And you can figure out where she got her drama from probably as well. Her mom. Okay. Some of that. But you love, as a parent, you love your kids the same. And, and we love the diversity in our kids. We do. We love that they're different. And it brings, you know, variety to our house and fun to our house and sometimes chaos to our house. And we, we love that. We wouldn't change that. And God loves all his kids in the family the same, equally. And he's given us the same access to our daddy through the same spirit. There's no more wall dividing us and God or should be dividing us and each other. That's one of the things that I love the most about Orchard Church. What you guys see around you in Orchard Church as you look around at our diversity is not an accident. When Shelly and I, nine years ago, set out to plant Orchard Church a year later, one of the things that we had on our, there were several things we were praying specifically about. One of them was we wanted to be in a metropolitan city because we wanted to be where there was diversity because that's what heaven's going to be like. We wanted to be that in a place like that with all kinds of different people, different backgrounds and everything. And another thing we, we prayed for specifically that God would bring diversity to our church one reason for this is because Shelly and I both grew up in churches that were very white. I mean, white as white could be. I mean, we were so white in the churches that we grew up in, when we would have like the potluck fellowships, that nobody would serve wheat bread. We were that white. <laughs> and we we're like, that's not reality. That's not America. That's not heaven. And we prayed for diversity in Orchard Church. And God has answered that prayer as he has built and taken the different stones and bricks to put our church together of God's children. We've got different shapes and sizes and backwards. And I mean, if you think for a moment about the diversity at Orchard Church, humanly speaking, there is no reason whatsoever that we would all want to get together. There is no reason, humanly speaking, because of our diversity, that we would want to do life together and hang out together and love each other and like each other. I mean, we got all kinds of, a lot of people thought when we started our church, it was just going to be young people. But we have all kinds of different ages in our church. We've got baby boomers. We've got Gen Xers. We've got millennials. We've got all kinds of different ethnic groups. We have people with different occupations. Um, we have people from all different denominations that have come, come to our church and different backgrounds and, and different preferences about worship and church. And, and let me just throw this in. It's okay to have different preferences about how we worship. Just make sure your preferences don't become prejudices. This is a difference. But we have people that are married. We have people that are single. We have people that are single again. We have people who are divorced. We have families with kids. We have families without kids. We have families that homeschool. We have families that put their kids in public school. We have Mac users, PC users, <laughs> iPhone, Android, Coke, Pepsi. We have people who live in the reunion subdivision and all the rest of us who don't. <laughs> We have Democrats, we have Republicans, we have gun owners, and those who will one day wish they were. Sorry, I just, I, that's, that was my own little thing. Here's another one, believe it or not. Ready for this one? We have beer drinkers and non-beer drinkers. Oh. I did that in the first service and I heard a whoop, whoop. 
We have pot. Oh, no, sorry. That, that was just the X. No, I was just kidding about that one. We do live in Colorado. We have Bronco fans in our church. I've even seen some Hey, hey. See how much control the sound man has? Raiders fans. And believe it or not, we've got some Chiefs fans at our church. Yeah. We have a Chiefs fan on staff at our church that we're going to all tease again after tonight. We even have a few Cowboys fans like myself. You know, like we're like every other week. We yay, oh, uh, yay, oh. Uh. And then if that's not enough diversity, if that's not enough diversity to divide us as a church, this one takes the cake. We have dog lovers and cat lovers in the same place. Listen, here's the deal. Here's my point. We should be a divided mess. We should not get along. We should have problems like the Jews and the Gentiles. But what brings us together is one thing. It's Jesus Christ. Can we praise God for that this morning? It is Jesus Christ. It is our relationship with Him. We have been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we all had the same wall that needed to be removed. And we all got in the family the same way. We got the same daddy. We got the same father. And we're all on the same mission. It's to make disciples of Jesus Christ. It's to grow the family. It's to invite other people into the family of Christ. It's to come together and worship Him together. That is the thing, the only thing that brings us together, and it's what should keep us together, not being divided by anything. We're a family, and that's, we need, as a family, I don't know about y'all, but I need you guys. We need each other, amen? I mean, this world is tough enough. I know when, especially when our kids were younger, and they'd be fighting, you know, Caleb and Caitlin would be fighting, and we would say, wait, 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 wait. They'd be picking each other and calling each other names. Wait, time out. We're a family. This world is hard enough. You need to watch out for your brother. You need to watch out for your sister. We need to love each other, and the same is true in the church. We need to come together on Sundays to fellowship with each other and worship together and pray together, and hug each other and love each other and encourage each other, and Sunday's not enough. We're glad you're here today, but that's why we have small groups throughout the week, so you can get in a small group. Listen, our church is over 1,100, 1,200 people now in three services. You're not going to get to know people and be cared for just by coming and sitting in a seat. We're glad you're here on Sunday morning, but don't let it stop there. Get in a small group of 10 or 12 people. We'll launch our next semester in January, February. Get in a group, because those are the people that will love you, who will know you, who care for you, who pray for you. I love it when I'll go to visit someone in the hospital, and all their small groups have already been there. You know, or, or we'll need to set up meals for somebody. Maybe somebody's just had a baby and we'll, we'll call and they'll say, oh, our, our small group's already taking care of it because we're family. We love each other. We care for one another. This is why discipleship is so important because every time someone accepts Christ, which happens every week at Orchard Church, almost in every service, we had five people raise their hand to accept Christ in the first service this morning. When that happens, we just witnessed a spiritual birth. And those people who come to Christ are newborn babes in Christ. Paul says in 2 Timothy, I believe it is, he says, they're like newborn babes in Christ. They need a spiritual mommy and daddy. That's what discipleship is. It's taking somebody by the spiritual hand and helping them grow in their faith, Don't, not leaving them and abandoning them to their own. That's why we make disciples here at Orchard Church, because we take care of the family. And that leaves no room for prejudice and judging. This world is tough enough. Listen to how Jesus said it in John 13, 35. 
a, a profound statement that Jesus said. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciple, that you're in my family. He, he didn't say by your denominational label. He didn't say by your ethnic background. He said, here's how the world is going to know you're my kids. If you what, church? Love one another. If you love one another, there is no room in Christianity, in God's family, for walls to divide any of us. It is God's design and God's wish and prayer that we, with all of our different diversity, would so love and care for one another that the outside unsaved world would look at us and go, I don't know what you guys have, but we want in on it. We want to love like that. We want to care like that. How, how is it you put all your differences aside? There's something that brings you guys together, and we can say, yep, and his name is Jesus. That we, as a family, that people would say, I want to be a part of that spiritual family. And there was a group back in 1979, I'm going to date myself a little bit, called Sister Sledge. Three of you remember who they are. You, know, you may not remember Sister Sledge, but you know this song, one of the most famous songs they ever wrote. We sing it at ball games. We are family. Oh, sorry. Okay, you know the song. I looked up the lyrics to the song, and I thought I was reading Bible. Listen to the lyrics of the song, We Are Family. Everyone can see we're together as we walk on by and we fly just like birds of a feather. I won't tell no lie. All the people around us, they say, can they really be that close? Just let me state for the record, we're giving love in a family dose. We are family. I got all my sisters and me. We are family. Get up, everybody, and sing. That sounds like a church song, doesn't it? Amen? That is a good, yeah, you, you can applaud that. It's okay. That's, that's the same thing that Paul is saying here. We are family. We are one in Christ. Because we have been reconciled socially, spiritually, it affects us collectively. Let's make sure the world sees that. Let's make sure the world is attracted to the love of the family. Because our Father wants His children to get along and love each other. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads this morning? Will your heads bowed for just a moment? If you're here this morning and you have been reconciled to God through faith in Christ, you know who you are. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you, there's a time in your life you can look back to and say, I know that's when the wall of sin between me and God was taken down because of my faith in Christ. Let me say this to you Christians. Please listen to me based upon this message of what Paul is saying. We have a God of peace and reconciliation. That's his heartbeat. So let me ask you, Christians, this. Who do you need to reconcile with? You've been reconciled to God, but who do you need to reconcile with? Who do you need to make peace with in a relationship? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's a friend, a neighbor, a coworker. Maybe it's someone in this church. God is laying someone on your heart right now that you need to make peace with. You need to be reconciled with. And would you just say, right now, Christians, would you just from the quietness of your seat, would you, whoever God lays on your heart, would you say, God, would you help me to offer peace and reconciliation? Paul says, as much as it be possible, live peaceably with all people. 
I know it's not always possible, but you can, you can do your part. Ask God to supernaturally do something in your relationships that maybe have been broken. Because life is too short to have broken relationships. And life is too long to have broken relationships. Ask God to help you with that right now. Ask God to supernaturally bring peace and reconciliation. And as you're praying about that right now, let me, let me ask another question that's very convicting to me and should be to all of us. Do you have some prejudices toward other people? I think if we're all completely honest, we all do at times. And there's no room for that in Christianity. There's no room for that in God's family. There's no room for that in the rest of the world because those are people that are without hope and without God and they need to see the love of Jesus and they need to see it through us. So some of you right now, you need to pray and ask God to help your prejudices be removed so you can love like Jesus loves. We're all one in Christ. And I just want to ask you, Christians, if, if God's spoken to your heart about a relationship that needs to be reconciled or a prejudice, can I pray for you right now with heads bowed and eyes closed? Would you slip up your hand real quick? Say, yeah, God spoke to me about that. There's someone I need to reconcile with. Would you pray for me, Pastor Doug? Lift him up high so I can see him in every section. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands are everywhere. Father, I pray that we would keep peace in our relationships with others because of the peace that we have in our relationship with you just as we've been reconciled with you through our faith, that we would seek for reconciliation in our other relationships with the love of Christ. And Lord, help us to put away prejudice, whatever they may be and whatever they look like, and offer love the way you, you love. Help us in those areas of our life. Lord, help us to apply this. Help our identity to affect our activity. And when that's about nice, closed, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, are you ready to do that? Have you been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus? If you're not sure, then you probably haven't. And the Bible says there's a wall of sin between you and God. But here's the great news. God sent His Son, Jesus, over the wall to forgive you, to save you, to reconcile you to your Heavenly Father, now and for all eternity. You don't have to be without God. You don't have to be without hope. You don't have to be far off. You can be brought near because of the blood of Christ and what he did on the cross for you. Peace can happen in your heart between you and God right now. And here's how it happens. You invite Jesus into your life. You take him by the hand through faith. I want to lead you in a prayer of faith that you can pray right now from your seat to God. Right where you sit. I'll help lead you in this prayer where you can invite Jesus to bring peace into your life and relationship with Him and have your sins forgiven. Now listen, it's not the prayer you say. It's not some magic words. It's the faith and belief behind it. And if you mean it, would you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You shed your blood. And I today take you by the hand, by faith, and ask you to forgive my sins. Tear down the wall between me and you. I want to know you in a personal way. I want to have eternal life. Today, by faith, Jesus, I invite you into my life. Put your spirit inside of me. I accept you by faith as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. 
thank you for removing the wall between me and you. Thank you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around at me for a moment, I want to pray for you. You just made the greatest decision you could ever make, and I want to pray that you grow in your relationship with Jesus. Would you slip up your hand right now all across the auditorium? Yes, I just prayed that prayer of faith. Thank you, young man. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Another young person. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith from my heart, asking Jesus to save me, to forgive me, to tear down the wall today. I want to know him. I don't want to be without hope. I don't want to be without God. I prayed that prayer and I meant it. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Let me pray for you. Father, we celebrate with the angels in heaven who are rejoicing right now over the new members of the family. And Lord, I pray that we would open our arms lovingly to them, that we would accept them the way you accept them. We would love them. We'd pray for them. We'd help disciple them to maturity, to grow in their relationship with you. And thank you, God, for reconciling all of us to you and to each other through our faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you are the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. And may we never take that for granted. And may the world that doesn't know you see the love and the peace and reconciliation that we have and that they may be drawn to it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate Decisions for Christ this morning?